The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is, what's new? Hot topics number 81. Research states that too often women aren't told of sexual side effects of cancer treatments. Why is that? And what can we do about it? We will talk about Asia Miller's story of how she had to navigate breast cancer treatment as a black woman. She couldn't find the support she needed as a black woman going through the experience, so she created it. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. So, how are you, D.? I'm doing great, Dr. Vicki Doe. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Yes, yes, yes. We are rolling out of here, huh, the year. We are. We are. At the end of October, you might as well just go on and say we're almost in the November. We're almost And you know in. what? I'll be glad because mm-hmm. I'm ready for that daylight savings time to end. I'm tired of it being dark at 8 o'clock. Big time. Big time. Yes. That's becoming a pain. It, it, and then this morning, too, it was dark like yeah. at 7 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so crazy. That to be over with. It's crazy. It's crazy. But we are here. We are here today. We are here, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, we are. And this is episode 242. And today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new. Hot topics number 81. Well, the stats are out. Education scores fall from coast to coast, especially in math. And they are saying it is due to the pandemic. And yes, we are ending October. And this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We will look at black women and how they are navigating breast cancer treatment. We will also look at a young lady's story and we will talk about it. And also... Too often women aren't told of the sexual side effects of cancer treatments. And so we will discuss all of these topics, these articles today. And as always, our co-host, Dr. D. Banks, will give us the latest on what is happening with the flu and other infections and all other stuff that's coming down the pipe because we always got something coming to get us. You know, <laughs> absolutely. I, I got a job. It's job security. Uh, job security, huh? Job security. <laughs> yes, it will give. She's going to give us tips on what we all need to do. So make sure, folks, make sure that you stay tuned to this show. Now, make sure, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Do Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. And when you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. You will be able to listen 
learn and experience our shows where we bring in other guests and talk about the things that are important for our health and our well-being and our community. And as you know, we do not just talk about our physical health, but we talk about the things that we do that we can do to preserve our mental health as well. We believe in total well-being. That is having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure, make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today. And last but not least, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review this show because that is how we grow and increase our listeners. And we appreciate you. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, like I said, I'm just here. <laughs> I hear you. I'm just here. You. I'm trying to I hear you. I'm trying to get organized. I'm trying to get all my We always talk about creating a healthy living plan and one of my yeah. healthy living plan things to do this this year is to get all my stuff checked out, make sure I'm in good health, and then also people don't realize there's voting. Voting Voting affects your outcome as to how you're going to live, right? <laughs> oh, you know, we, we talk about, we've entered, well, yeah, we, we did Yes, we do. Dr. Daniel mm-hmm. Dawes, yes. who wrote that book on the political determinants of health. Mm-hmm. And basically, who you vote for can have major effects on your health care. Yes, indeed. That's why I'm participating in early voting, and I will sit back and see. Mm-hmm. I know it's gonna be deep. It's gonna be it's deep. It's gonna be very deep this year. Yes, oh, it is. Oh my goodness, there's so many races that are so uh, important. So I know. It's gonna be uh, very, very interesting. You know, we're a nonpartisan show, but you know they had the debate last night with Fetterman and and Dr. Oz, and you talk about you know they were talking. I didn't see it, but they were talking about health. You know, he just had a stroke. Yes, he did. And uh, so there was some issues around. You know, the fact that he was on the debate, but, you know, he was having issues with stroke. I mean, that's just so tragic, you know. It's just I know. The whole thing so tragic. I'm sure he tried to avoid as much as possible, you know, having the the debate. But, you know, you, you, you can't not have a debate now. That started back at the Kennedy-Nixon era. That's a... That's a must now to have a debate if you're going into uh, voting kind of thing. People expect it now, and a lot of votes, mm-hmm. a lot of people winning have been determined by those debates. So, yeah, that's that's what we're, we're in that season now. We're in that season yeah, of yeah. voting. Yep, yep. But, yeah, I say to everybody, vote and vaccinate. Vote and vaccinate. The two V's, the V2. Vote <laughs> and vaccinate, yeah. That's it. All right. And so, yes, I feel blessed and grateful. Listen, listen, Dee, how was your week? And congratulations. Thank you. My week was good. I went to the International, it was in Washington, D.C., International Infectious Disease Week, where all the infectious disease people kind of come together, many many international people from Europe and Africa and Australia Mm -hmm. came together and just lots of topics discussed and what was new, hot topics. But the fortunate thing was that the African-American people of color, physicians, mm-hmm. have all 
band together, mm-hmm. and we are now called the George Count Minority Interest Group, and I happen to be president of that organization. Yes, yes, and yes. And we had our first dinner with about 70 people that showed up. Mm-hmm. And so it was really good because now we have the eye and the ear of the Infectious Disease Society of America because we now come as a united front. Yes. And there are a lot of health care disparity issues like COVID and HIV uh-huh. that are involved with infectious diseases. So it was just, it was a really good meeting. Yes. And so, yes, as thank usual, you. we are so proud of you, Dee, right? Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just trying to, as they say, like Frankie had Halfacre, our friend here, mm-hmm. trying to do a little good in, in the, the neighborhood. neighborhood. That's it. Yes. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, what? is going on this week, D. <laughs> Vicky, everything. Everything. Everything, everything. Well, everything. Well, since we rolling into November, we will talk about American Diabetes Health Awareness Month. November is American Diabetes Health Awareness Month, and the focus this year is about health inequity. Yeah, we got to get Hey, we always talk about health disparities, but yeah, it is the focus, especially when we talk about diabetes. So health, the focus is health inequity. Inequity, and this is what's said, if you go to their website, American Diabetes Association, it has tools, it has all kinds of information to help, to help anyone that um, has diabetes, but also to help for all of us to help with spreading awareness. And it says, inequity systemically harms people of color. According to the American Diabetes Association, the COVID-19 pandemic and glaring examples of racial injustice are casting a bright light on an old problem in America. Health inequity is obvious and widespread. It contributes to worse outcomes and higher risk for diabetes and many other diseases. And it undermines the well-being of our most underserved communities. It's 60% more likely that black Americans will get diagnosed with diabetes. Every four minutes, a limb is amputated due to diabetes and most are affordable. Inaction is is no longer no longer an option. And so, yes, we are looking at the Health Equity Bill of Rights. And it it talks about this. It says the current health pandemic and its disproportionate toll on minority, low-income, and historically underserved Americans shines a troubling light on historic systemic inequalities in American health care. It is time for health equity now. And so the Health Equity Bill of Rights envisions a future without unjust health disparities. It ensures that 122 million uh, Americans living with diabetes and pre-diabetes, along with the millions more who are at high risk for diabetes, no matter their race, their income, the um, zip code, the age, the education or gender, get equal access to the most basic of human rights, their health. And so this includes, number one, the right to access insulin and other drugs affordably. Number two, the right to healthy food. Number three, the right to insurance, to insurance, 
that covers diabetes management and future cures. Number four, the right not to face stigma or discrimination. Number five, the right to avoid preventable amputations. Number six, the right to participate in clinical trials without fear. Number seven, the right to stop pre-diabetes from becoming diabetes. And number eight, the right to build to a built environment that does not raise the risk of getting diabetes. And number nine, the risk to the latest medical advances. And last but not least, number 10, the right to have your voice heard. So I want to encourage all of you to make sure you go to the American Diabetes Association website, www.diabetes.org to find out more about this health equity bill of rights. And it's hashtag health equity now and all the other information that's on their website as well. You know, every day, I mean, I was just thinking a few minutes ago, I just left the hospital with another, yet another diabetic foot infection. I mean, it's just in epidemic proportions. And, you know, Mm -hmm. your doctor, Doe, and I follow each other like a shadow because many of these people are on dialysis Mm -hmm. and they have diabetes and it's out of control. And then they start out with a small wound that's not taken care of or they don't take care of it or don't seek medical care. And then they come in and now we're looking at amputations. Mm-hmm. So it's just that diabetes is completely out of control. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, mm-hmm. and as you said, in, in terms of health care disparities, we're hit the hardest like everything else. Yes. It is. So, yeah. It is a part of our systems. It is. <laughs> when you look it's, at it, it right? Like it, right. Everything. You turn around, you look around, what is it that we don't have health care disparities in? That's so, it. And it's not, as we were talking in the in our session last week at IDSA, it's not because you're black and born black that you're predisposed to all this disparity. As we say, a lot of it has to do with systemic racism, Mm -hmm. systemic inequities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to try to get to the root cause analysis of all these things. Why does it continue to keep happening? When we know it happens, we know it exists. What are we doing to try to reverse the trend? I know. So that's the big problem. That's the big problem. That's the big problem. So yeah, that's the big problem. Trying to reverse it. Yeah. So let's let's spread the the awareness, and then for ourselves, absolutely. Let's make sure that we know our numbers and keep in touch with that. That's it. Right. Know your numbers exactly. Know your numbers. Mm. So D, let's move on. What's the latest? You got two things to talk about. Yeah. The first one here is the uh, as we've been seeing on the news, the increased incidence of children coming in the hospitals now with respiratory syncytial virus. This is not a new virus. Pediatricians and, and you know, pedi- pediatric IV people and adult IV people, we've seen this. But like, you know, these viruses, we've had, we've been, we've had our masks on. Uh, we prevented influenza last year. We didn't have the twindemic that we thought we were going to have with influenza and COVID. The masks have prevented things and so forth. And now the masks have come off. Mm-hmm. And the viruses have really, if you will, had a chance to regroup. Mm-hmm. They've had a chance to regroup. And so now you have the emergence of a virus that had lain dormant because we protected it with masks. 
and now it's running rampant. So you have hospital beds and, and hospital beds that are filled, and they're actually life-flighting and flying patients in a lot of cities. I was watching it on television to other hospitals. So Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. So what? So what? So what's going on? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, a lot of the mask mandates have gone, and although we have vaccines for influenza and for COVID, people have still not made themselves, had themselves made available to getting these booster shots and, and flu vaccines and stuff. And right now we're in a situation where I'll talk about a little later, we've got yet again more subvariants. So what's happening? Mm-hmm. So this is in the New York Times. So for more than two years, shuttered schools and offices, social distancing and masks, granted Americans a reprieve from the flu, and most other respiratory infections. This winter, probably going to be different. With few to no restrictions in place and travel and socializing back in full swing, an expected winter rise in COVID cases appears poised to collide with a resurgence of influenza, causing a twin-demic or even a triple-demic with a third passage of respiratory syncytial virus in the mix. Mm-hmm. Cases of flu have begun to pick up earlier than usual and are expected to soar over the coming weeks. Children infected with RSV, which has similar symptoms to, co- to flu and COVID, rhinoviruses and enteroviruses are already straining pediatric hospitals in several states. We're seeing everything come back with a vengeance, says Al- Alpana Wagmeyer, infectious disease expert at Fred Hutchinson's Cancer Center and a physician in Seattle Children's Hospital. Most cases of COVID, flu, and RSV are likely to be mild, but together they may sicken millions of Americans and swamp hospitals, public health experts warn. You've got this waning COVID immunity coincided with the impact of the flu coming here and RSV, said Andrew Redd, an evolutionary microbiologist at Penn State. We're in uncharted territory here. The vaccines for COVID and flu, while they may not prevent infection, still offer the best protection against severe illness and death. They urge everyone, and especially those at high risk, to get shots as soon as possible. Older adults, immunocompromised people, and pregnant women are at most risk, and young children are highly susceptible to influenza and RSV. Many infected children are becoming severely ill because they have little immunity, either because it has waned or they were not exposed to these viruses before the pandemic. So RSV causes about 14,000 deaths among adults 65 and older, and we've got two right now in our hospital, Vicki. Oh, wow. And up to, three, yeah, up to 300 deaths among children mm. under five. No vaccine is available, but at least two candidates are late-stage clinical trials and appear to be affected in older adults. Pfizer is also developing an antiviral drug. As of today, we're seeing equal numbers of COVID, flu, and RSV, and that's really concerning because we're still very early into this, said Dr. Diego Hajano, a pediatric infectious disease specialist at St. Jude's. It's going to be a rough winter. Coronaviruses are low, but are beginning to rise in some parts of the country. Several European countries, including France, Germany, and Britain, are experiencing an uptick in hospitalizations and deaths, prompting experts to worry that the United States will follow, as we always do. Mm-hmm. Some of the coronavirus variants that are picking up momentum are depth, dodging immunity, and drugs such as Evershield and Bebtavilumab, mm-hmm. uh, which are especially important for protecting immunocompromised people. Mm-hmm. People with weakened immune systems remain at risk even despite getting all the recommended or even additional vaccines. 
Public health experts are particularly concerned about a constellation of Omicron variants that seem to dodge immunity from the vaccines and even from recent infection better than previous variants did. And one of my colleagues gave a talk at last week at ID mm-hmm. week, and he said, which we've all been saying, this is the smartest virus that anybody has ever known in anybody's lifetime. Mm. The latest booster vaccines made by Pfizer and Moderna, it's almost human. The latest mm. booster vaccines made by Pfizer and Moderna were designed for the variants that dominated this summer, but not for these newer ones. Still, they raise antibody levels overall and should help to stave off severe symptoms and abridge the duration of illness, said Aubrey Gordon, an epidemiologist at Michigan. BA5 variant was the most common evasive variant until recently, but it's rapidly being replaced by others, including two that show even greater ability to sidestep immunity. One of them, BQ11, is the leading candidate for causing a winter wave, and it's already been soaring in Europe. And although it and a closely related variant, BQ1, together account for about 11% of cases in the United States, Vicki, it's just going to get bigger. Oh, wow. Their share has grown rapidly from just 3% two weeks ago, and this is how this happened. Mm. A combination of Omicron subvariants called XBB has been fueling a wave of cases in Singapore among the most highly vaccinated nations in the world. So you know if that's happening there, we're in trouble. Right. It's subvariant XBB just arrived in the United States. Another variant called BA2752 is also highly immune, evasive, and causes more severe disease, but is so far responsible for less than 2%. Most of the other variants don't appear to cause any severe symptoms earlier versions of the virus, but the immune evasiveness is continuing. Now things have shifted with the massive degree of immunity that people have against previous variances that Cornelius Romer, a computational biologist, and Richard Niebuhr's Niehurst group at University of Basel. FDA has authorized boosters designed for BA5 for all Americans five and older. Mm. But so far, it's true, only a small fraction of people have made themselves available to getting this. Fewer than one in three children has completed even the primary series. So this may change as people see a rapid rise. You know, they all want to run in and get it. I know. Maybe too late. It might be. So mm-hmm. before the coronavirus walloped the world, flu viruses sickened millions and killed tens of thousands of Americans. In 2018-2019, the flu was responsible for 13 million medical visits, 380,000 hospitalizations, and 28,000 deaths. This year, flu began, flu began weeks earlier than usual in Australia and New Zealand, and the number of cases and hospitalizations were markedly higher. That's why we want to know what's going on in Australia, because we know mm-hmm. that when they have summer, we have winter. When we have, uh, they, uh, you know, vice versa, when we have summer, they have winter. When we have winter, they have summer. Okay. So their winter was bad with increased flu. So okay. we know that that's probably going to happen to us. Okay. So Dr. Gordon... Dr. Gordon tracks influenza rates among children in Nicaragua, which has one flu season in June and July and a larger one in the late fall. More than 90% of the population was considered fully vaccinated against COVID by January 2022, and many people had also gained immunity from one or more infections. Still, the country saw high rates of both COVID and influenza in the first half of this year. Mm. Influenza rates among children were higher than in the 2009 flu pandemic, and the children were sicker on average than in previous years. We saw a lot of hospitalizations, said Dr. Gordon. So in the United States, 
flu typically begins to pick up in October and runs through March, peaking about December and February. But in some states, this year's season is already underway. About 3% of tests nationwide were turning positive for flu as of October the 8th, according to the CDC. But the rates are higher than 10% in some southeastern states mm. and higher than 5 in South Central region, in Texas, South Central region. Mm. In Texas, the proportion of tests positive for flu jumped from 5.3 in early October from 3.7 the week before. You know, this happens. All wow. this stuff travels and spreads logarithmically. Okay. Some states are reporting increased use of ventilators. New York officials declared early this month that flu was widespread. Public health experts urge Americans, especially those at high risk, to get your flu shot. Mm-hmm. And like the COVID vaccine, the flu vaccine may not be a perfect match for the circulating variant, but even so, it roughly has the risk of hospitalization in adults and children. Antibodies kick in about two weeks after the shot, so a vaccine now may, in fact, extend protection through the winter wave better than one received in September. Last year, flu vaccination rates decreased slightly in all age groups compared with the previous year according to an analysis by the CDC. The vaccination rate for children six months to four years of age who are at high risk showed the biggest drop to 67% from 75% before the arrival of the coronavirus. Hmm. The lower rate may be because of mistrust of COVID vaccines has spilled over to flu or simply because parents have forgotten the danger posed to young children. It's too soon to tell whether the numbers will improve this year. Older adults and immunocompromised people should get both flu and COVID shots. Public health experts say healthy young adults may also want to opt for both vaccines if they don't want to get sick or can't afford to miss work or to protect others around who are around them who are high risk. Some communities are at increased risk of severe illnesses and hospitalizations for flu. During flu season from 2009 to 2022, Rates of hospitalization were 80% higher among black adults, mm-hmm. 30% higher among American Indian and Alaska Natives, and 20% higher among Hispanic adults compared to white adults, according to the CDC re- released this past week. Yet flu vaccination rates were much lower in these groups. You know, it's kind of like we got to do some things on our own. You know, we yeah, can't protect time. everybody, expect everybody to protect us now. I know. Vaccine coverage also declined by about nine percentage points from the previous year in pregnant women mm. across all racial and ethnic groups. Lastly, in February 2020, Dr. Gordon was preparing to talk to her seven-year-old daughter's class about the coronavirus when a boy in the class died of an infection with influenza B. Most of the time, it doesn't make you very sick, but sometimes it can, Dr. Gordon said of the flu. We do, however, have an effective vaccine against influenza, so I'd encourage people to get vaccinated. So that was a very long... Yeah, but it was good. ...inclusive of everything that I've wanted to say about mm-hmm. the triple-demic that seems like it's inevitable to come. I know. So, yes, i got something to do this weekend, I'm gonna uh, do a, a talk, a presentation, and then right after that, I'm gonna get my flu shot, and then oh, and then right after that, like the following week, I'll get my booster. And yeah. luckily, this yeah. year, I'm not going into Kent every day, so that's I was good. Just getting ready to say 
Now, did they have vaccine mandates last year? I was trying oh, to yeah, the whole time. The whole time okay, we had that. We couldn't even teach unless we we um had and then the students too but at first i was saying that they were saying that people wear masks now they they backtrack on that so a lot of folks you know you don't you don't really have to they might want to rethink that they might want to rethink that as you always say people might want to rethink that they might might not have thought it through and through they didn't think it through and through because uh (laughs) because winter coming and a lot of breathing and stuff coming on coughing and spreading droplets and all of that yeah people might want to rethink slapping those masks back on that's it yeah because i was yesterday i was in the grocery store and I was like, wow, because I went when it was hardly nobody in there. And I was like, wow, uh-huh. this is the first time I've been in a grocery store, period, without a mask. Uh-huh. That was the first. It's kind of scary. Uh-huh. That was the first time. And I was telling my daughter, she was saying, what? I said, don't worry. That was just uh, that was just a fluke. garbage. you. Throwing it back on. Oh, most definitely. I definitely have Me it too. back on. Oh, yeah. Me too, because I don't want that RSV. Like I said, we have two in the hospital now, and that two will probably go to four to six to ten to a hundred or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's no time to play around with this stuff. Nope. Nope. So I said, yeah, I'm back to regular. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, I always had my lights on now. You know, they ain't never. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten stocking lights all yet? Oh, oh yes. Know. Yes. You the biggest you the biggest user of lights all. It's so funny, Dr. Doe and I you're Honey, sweet, and I were laughing about your lifestyle. You definitely haven't stopped spraying that. I ain't stopped spraying it. And yesterday, that's why I went, look, that's why I went to the store to run in there. I said, look, let me get some more Lysol before people start thinking about it. That's funny. <laughs> and that's I had, too funny. I had a whole bag of them. You best better believe I know, it. That's right. Mm. I got my stock too. After you, I laughed. I was laughing, but I ran and got some too. I said, "Let me copycat." That's I'm it. Done. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's a part mm-hmm. of my daily cleaning. You know, oh, yeah. spraying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, D. Thank you for telling us You're about welcome. that. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. 
Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at. And talking about our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 81. And so our first article, our first article is too often women aren't told of sexual side effects of cancer treatments. And this was written by Health Day News. And it says, when a man has cancer in an area that affects sexual function, his doctor is likely to um, discuss it with him. But the same is not true for a woman who has cancer in a sex organ, according to new research. Investigators found nine in 10 men were asked about their sexual health, yet only one in 10 women received the same care. There seems to be a big disparity in the way we approach sexual dysfunction with our patients where uh, female patients are asked about sexual issues much less often than male patients are, said lead author Dr. Jamie Takesu. She is a radiation oncology resident physician at the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. Equally importantly, we see this trend on a national level in clinical trials, said Takesu. The findings were presented at the annual meeting of the American Society for Radiation Oncology in San Antonio. In the United States, about 13,000 women are diagnosed with cervical cancer each year, while more than 220,000 men have new cases of prostate cancer. Radiation therapy and other treatments are often used in both cases. The potential for long-term side effects, including sexual dysfunction, is important to consider, Takesu said. About 96% of patients with prostate cancer and 67% of those with cervical cancer survive for at least five years. In brachytherapy for prostate or cervical cancer, doctors insert radioactive sources directly into the tumor. This can affect organs in the genital region. About half of the women who receive cervical brachytherapy experience sexual side effects, among them uncomfortable and sometimes painful changes to vaginal tissue and dryness, according to the research team. Somewhere between one quarter and half of men who receive prostate brachytherapy can end up with erectile dysfunction during, after, or well after treatment. Takusi said the lack of openness towards women's sexual health isn't limited to medical offices. Culturally, there are differences in how we talk about sexual dysfunction that affects men versus women. We see ads on television about erectile dysfunction. For example, there's no equivalent to these for women. Takesu said in a meeting news release. For the study, researchers combined analysis of institutional data and national clinical trials. The authors reviewed consult notes in the records of 201 patients who received brachytherapy for prostate cancer or cervical cancer between 2010 and 2021. Doctors discussed 
sexual health with about 89% of men compared to 13% of women. Doctors assess um, none of the women using a patient-reported outcomes tool, but did so with 81% of men. In analyzing the U.S. National Institutes of Health Clinical Trials database, researchers found that prostate cancer trials compared to cervical cancer trials were significantly more likely to include sexual function as a primary or secondary endpoint. They also were more likely to include overall quality of health, quality of life as an endpoint. One radiation oncologist called the new findings eye-opening. While a small retrospective study, the stark disparity in sexual health assessment between men and women is indeed illuminating, said Dr. David Bayan, who practices at NYU Langone's um, Perlmutter Cancer Center in New York City. The potential long-term quality of life Side effects, including their impact on sexual health, must be adequately discussed during consultation so patients are fully informed about treatments, said Bayon. He's also a clinical instructor in radiation oncology at NYU Grossman School of Medicine. According to the study authors, some of the reasons for the disparities may be that for prostate cancer patients, have uh, multiple treatment options, some of which affect sexual health. In comparison, cervical cancer um, doesn't have the same variety of treatments. And while men can choose between sexual dysfunction medications approved by the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration, few to none exist for women. The only tools that we commonly recommend for women are lubricants and dilators. But... Even these are not great options, Takesu said. It's easy for us to prescribe different medications for our male patients, but for our female patients, we don't have that first step. I think that creates a barrier to bringing these issues up, she said. Doctors need to start asking female patients about their sexual health more frequently. If we don't know about problems, we can't solve them. Takesu said. Bayan agreed. Educate and communicate. Ask your patients what is important to them so you can best serve them, he advised. Findings presented at medical meetings are considered preliminary until published in a peer-reviewed journal. So, wow, what do you think about that, Dee? Well, you know, this is one of my pet peeve subjects because it spills over into the HIV in older women, mm-hmm. and a lot of times physicians do not ask women, whatever age, well, certainly older women, mm-hmm. about any sexual health, anything. I always laugh and say because most of our children think after the age of 50, you're dead anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so somebody about their sexual health, why ask? Because you're dead from the, from the waist down. Okay, so okay. they've always... Had, there's always been this disparity about sexual health and postmenopausal women who have issues of dyspareunia and all of that. But I have often said, even with my own OBGYN doctor, mm-hmm. was never discussed. Mm-hmm. You know, you come in and you know, but it's always discussed with men yes. because that's an important part of men, right? You know what I mean? Yes. And so 
that erectile dysfunction and the some of those drugs cause and cause retrograde ejaculation, which is a whole nother different sexual dysfunction. What is it called? What's it called? It's called retrograde ejaculation. Okay. Where when they have an orgasm instead of you know sperm or whatever semen coming out, it goes back into the bladder. Ooh. And that's a yeah, that's a whole nother different. Is it painful? Sensation is certainly it's, it's not painful. They say, but it. It's un, it doesn't give you the same kind of, a, you know, orgasm that you would have if you had it naturally. And okay. a lot of this is caused by a lot of the treatments, for example, some bladder cancer treatments that are given, some prostate cancer treatments that are given. A lot of them have the side effects, like I said, is retrograde ejaculation. And that is why we've had problems with men and prostate cancer of them not wanting to get treated because as doctor, you know, you remember our friend Dr. Lolita yes. says men would prefer to preserve their wee wee <laughs> than to get treated. <laughs> That's what she says. Yeah, you're right. And so she and I have had Many, many friends, black male friends, and I'm sure, you know, Dr. Maudlin, our friend who came on with his book, would reemphasize this issue of, you know, trying to convince uh, black men, and especially when they hear about the side effects and so forth of having these prostate surgeries. But again, as the article said, mm-hmm. you know, these cancer treatments and all of this in men and women have side effects and the doctors are not discussing, you know, they may be looking at your blood work, are you anemic, or they may be looking at other things, but sexual health mm-hmm. is completely ignored, mm-hmm. completely ignored, unless the men, and a lot of women are not going to bring it up, a lot of men, because like I said, mm-hmm. as Dr. Lolly and I say, it's all about the wee-wee. That's so, it. So, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It is. It is. So there it is, period. There it is, period. It's interesting how there's, you, you, we don't have too much um, FDA-approved stuff out no, there for women. We don't. Mm-mm. And like I said, when, when we talk about those kind of things that men have uh, Viagra and Cialis mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, and what do you see being advertised for women? And th- there are some of those things that are out there. Number one, they have risk. You can't take them if you have a history of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You can't take them if you have a history of breast cancer in your family. And some of them can cause blood clots. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, who wants that? No, no. So, you know, you're relegated to lubricants or some of these other kinds of things. And it's a whole, it's a whole big area that is ignored with women i think yes um, yes because like i say it's not it's not we're not really considered after like i said from the waist down you're dead after 50 and that is why so many women mm-hmm. are being misdiagnosed with hiv wow okay the question is not asked are you sexually active a lot of women are ashamed or you know i don't want to talk about it or whatever mm. and so they end up having sex with somebody who, you know, may be infected, and they don't know, and then here they come infected, and that's another reason we find women late in the game, because mm-hmm. they don't think that they had any high-risk activity. 
So it's just a it's a whole conundrum. Yes, right. So we we, we definitely got to have a show just talking about sexual health for women. Yeah, we really do. It's something that is sorely needed. The discussion is sorely needed, and we'll have to. We got to find somebody. Yes, OB GYN colleagues who mm-hmm. can come in and, and discuss this because it really is a problem. Oh wow! Yeah, well, and the fastest rising group, as we learned, I learned from the conference, is women over the age of fifty. Wow! For HIV. Mm. Because they're not being diagnosed. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, there it is. Well, there it is. Hey, so it's something for us to really think about as well. And so our our article, too, about scores. Scores fall coast to coast. Well, you know, this is not something that's shocking me because I said this Mm -hmm. a long time ago. Scores fall coast to coast, especially in math, under the pandemic's toll. Student test scores declined across the country, particularly in math. This just came out two days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, test scores declined across the country, particularly in math. And not one state saw an increase, according to the most comprehensive look at the impact of the pandemic on student achievement. Declines were seen among high and lower performing students alike for both fourth and eighth graders in math and reading. Overall scores fell to levels not seen in two decades. Mm. The results released Monday provide the clearest picture yet of the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on learning, said Peggy Carr, the commissioner of the National Commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics, which administers the National Assessment of Educational Programs, or NAET, sometimes called the nation's report card. She described the declines in math, in particular, as stark and troubling, and she said she hopes educators will use the data to plot a course towards recovery. The portion of eighth graders rated proficient or better in math fell to 27% from 34% in 2019. Average math scores for eighth grade fell by eight points from 282 in 2019 to 2074 this year Mm. on a 500-point scale. And the fourth grade, by five points, the steepest declines recorded in more than a half a century of testing. The data makes clear how steep a climb American educators face as they embark on what is likely to be a years-long effort to help students make up learning that was missed as schools struggled to operate during the pandemic. This is a clear indicator of the real impact on learning on our kids for the last two years, said Eric Gordon, the chief executive of Cleveland Metropolitan School District, where scores fell sharply. The average test score for Cleveland right down the street Mm. Fourth graders plummeted 15 points in math and 16 points in reading. Now, you know, that's a doggone shame. That is, isn't it? For eighth graders, Mm. the drops were eight points in math and seven in reading. Mm. Gordon said Cleveland's poor results are partly explained by the fact that tests were administered there soon after the area was hit by the surging Omicron variant. He said Cleveland schools are working to mitigate the losses through more time with students, extended hours, and after-school homework tutoring, and extensive summer enrichment programs. We have to find time to get back to learning. Time is what impacted us, and time is what's going to take us back. The declines registered were particularly troubling given that American academic performance was already shaky. We're behind all over the world. Oh, big time. In early 2020, before the pandemic upended schools, that NAEP test scores in both reading and math declined year-old students. The drop registered since the test started to be administered in 19 
1969, when I was in college, mm. the pandemic simply made it worse, said Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. He told reporters on Friday, he called the new report an urgent action for schools to work towards recovery. Mm. Congress has allocated some $190 billion in coronavirus relief funds to schools, but we're always behind the gun. gun. I Why know. wouldn't you think mm. that that wouldn't happen? I know. Uh, we must treat the task of catching our children up with the urgency this moment demands, said Cardona. If this doesn't have you fired up to raise the bar in education, you're in the wrong profession. Mm-hmm. Well, it's too little, too late. I know. Last year, as students returned to building was far from a normal year. Educators scrambled to manage corona surges, quarantines, mask mandates, and staffing shortages. They faced more student violence, rising absenteeism, and intense mental health needs. Teacher morale sank and schools saw significant teacher and staff vacancies. Mm. Partisans on all sides of the education debate seized on the results to advance competing ideas about the way ahead. Some argued that more federal and state funding will be needed to help children catch up. Several called for an all-hands reaction to support teachers as they work to climb back. There could not be a more urgent time for strong family school participation. Partnership, said National PTA President Anna King. Advocates for school choice policies that send tax dollars to support private schools use the data to argue the existing system has failed. Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, well, we remember her, Mm -hmm. in a statement that children should no longer be hostages in a one-size-fits-none system that isn't meeting their needs. The test results also offered fodder for those who argue bringing students back to campuses quickly was the right move, even as the pandemic was raging, and that many children were kept at home or chose to learn from home from fo- for far too long. Mm. We kept schools open in 2020. Mm-hmm. Today's and today's NAEP results once again prove that we made the right decision, said Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Mm. But the data did not establish a connection between back-to-school policies and academic performance. In California, for instance, many public schools were closed well into 2020-21 school year, and some students never saw a classroom. Mm. Declines were were similar in Texas and Florida, where schools were ordered to reopen much sooner. Linda Darling-Hammond, the president of the California State Board of Education, credited state spending on summer school tutoring and other initiatives with keeping the losses comparable to those seen in other states. Still, the state sought significant declines, albeit no worse than others. We put billions of dollars literally into learning recovery, she said. She said she hopes the report will signal to leaders that more of the same is needed. What would be tragic is if people mm. treat this as the pandemic is over mm. and we don't have to worry about investing in children's learning and mental health anymore. Mm. There was a survey conducted alongside the test, found that students with higher test scores had more access to support while they were in remote learning. Duh! I know, right? Top-performing eighth graders were more likely than those at the bottom to have a desktop computer. Duh! Laptop or tablet. Mm. To have a quiet place to work or to study. To have a teacher available every week. And to participate in real-time online lessons. The declines in math had the effect of erasing years of slow incremental progress. And among fourth graders, the decreases were particularly steep mm. for the students at the lowest academic level. In 2019, 19% of, of fourth graders' scores were considered below NAEP basic, the mm. bottom bucket. 
Mm. A figure that had fallen significantly over many years. This year, that rose to 25% of the total. Similarly, the bottom 10% of fourth graders lost 7% on average. The top 10% declined by two points. In every grade, every state in the country saw declines in math scores, average math scores. And all but Utah were statistically significant drops compared to 2019. The declines were spread among racial and ethnic groups and among high and low achievers alike. Reading scores fell, dropping by three points among both fourth and eighth graders. Still, the declines were not as steep as the math ones. Mm. And that's where we fall behind in the world. I know. More mm. than half of the state, plus the District of Columbia, held, st- held steady on reading for fourth and or eighth grade. Most of the 26 large city school districts that participated in the test saw no change, meaning there was no improvement but also no decline, which qualifies as a bright spot given the overall results. One of them, the Los Angeles Unified School District, actually saw eighth-grade reading scores jump by nine points. Mm. Other studies have also found steeper declines in math versus reading. Experts surmised that it was far easier for parents to help their children with reading. That's true than yes, math. Right. Discussing a book is more comfortable for adults than helping with a math math formula. Mm-hmm. Math is simply more sensitive to good schooling. You need math teachers to teach math. In district, reading scores dropped by eight points for fourth grade. I need to get my mother on this article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for fourth grade, but steady in eighth. Lewis Therabee. The mm-hmm. chancellor of D.C. public school system took credit for the positive results for students in traditional schools, saying they reflect our investments in literacy mm. and the supports that we provided even during, even prior to the pandemic. Lastly, mm-hmm. Christina Grant, the state superintendent of education, expressed optimism that the numbers can improve. D.C. officials plan to spend nearly $1 billion in federal aid for initiatives such as summer programs, tutoring, and curriculum changes, and the city plans to hire more math and reading specialists. We know what works, and we know that our recovery efforts will turn these outcomes around. NAEP testing is conducted at both public and private schools across the country that are randomly sampled. This year, 224,000 fourth graders participated from approximately 5,700 schools and 220,000 eighth graders from about 5,100 schools took part. Testing took place between January and March of 2022. I want to say this, uh, Vicki. Yes. The elephant in the room is let's tease out the data for the specific ethnic groups that were I know. involved. I know. When you talk about it was across the board, no, I don't want to hear that. Mm-mm. I want to hear what the African-American children did, the Hispanic, Asian, and Latino. Yes. And white. And right. let's compare that. Yes. Let's look at that and see, uh, yet again, further health care disparities because, yes. you know, mm-hmm. these parents didn't have, I just bought my grandson a computer so he can compete. You gotta, you gotta compete. Be able to compete. Gotta compete. That's it. And, you know, you and I both, both mm. you and I have been in the education with our children, mm-hmm. and we know what it takes and the resource that you need to be able to compete in a global world. That's it. That's it. And it, and you certainly can't be doing terrible on reading and math. No. 
<laughs> because you know what? They don't have a, a standardized test just for black folks, mm-hmm. just for mm-hmm. Asian people, just for Hispanic. You got to, as I used to tell my children, mm-hmm. you have to pull up to the table with everything that everybody else has. That's it. And you got to be able to to do it. And so it doesn't surprise me that the pandemic caused a lot of this because, yeah. Not at all. Yeah, because, all. you know, a lot of parents, you know, hey, they weren't trying to to, to be oh. teaching and helping oh. for that longer no. time. No, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Or, mm-hmm. again, if you look at disparities, mm-hmm. a lot of people of color mm-hmm. didn't have those kind of jobs mm-hmm. where they could stay home yes. and teach their children. Yes. As opposed to a lot more people in white collar jobs where they had the opportunity to be able to work from home mm-hmm. and then they could take two or three hours out of a day and teach their children. If you're a bus driver or grocery store worker or mm-hmm. taxi cab driver or, you know, maintenance person, environmental services and all of that, you couldn't take off of work. Or even just health care. you got to be in the hospital working. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I need to see the teased out. And then, and then uh-huh. we need to have money allocated towards the worst groups. I'm sorry. I know. We'll get, we'll get more than others. You know, that's just my soapbox. I know. But, yeah, we'll keep an eye on this. I, um, You know, my daughter, Andrea, is doing a lot of the after school and teaching and stuff, too, because, yeah, it is a problem. And that's in the Cleveland area, trying to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With tutoring that's and all good. that. Good for, good for her. Good for her. Yeah, because it's, it's needed. Big time. Big time. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. All right. Well, our last article, and we'll talk about that briefly here. It's Navigating Breast Cancer Treatment <laughs> as a Black Woman. And this was um, found in Everyday Health. And it says, when Aisha Miller was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer four years ago, she couldn't find the support she needed as a black woman going through the experience. So she created it. Uh, Aisha Miller doesn't use the word survivor to describe her experience with stage three breast cancer. She uses the word Veteran. I use the word veteran because it feels more authentic to me, says Miller. In our community, we are constantly getting phone calls or seeing on social media when another one of us passes away and we have to go back to that traumatic experience. Many of us are diagnosed with PTSD. Miller was diagnosed in 2017 when she was just 33 and in the best shape of her life. When she found a tiny, almost undetectable lump under her right armpit, she didn't expect it to be anything to worry about. When the doctor called with her biopsy results, she was stunned. At that moment, I felt like I had lost my body. I completely detached. I hung up the phone and didn't realize I had begun to scream until my eight-year-old son walked into the kitchen and asked what was wrong. Miller remembers it was so surreal. It felt like a dark joke to say, I have breast cancer. For years, she says, she had done um, her, her, her pink and participated in cheerful walks for breast cancer. Now that she had the disease, she found it was nothing to cheer about, nor were these events particularly meaningful for her. People think They know the breast cancer world because of these big conglomerates with organized, I mean, who organize racist 
with names like Save the Tatas, she says. I did that before I had cancer. What Miller wanted was a support group. This section of the article says bias and a dearth of information for black women. What Miller wanted was a support group that she could relate to, but she couldn't find one. She didn't feel represented as a black woman or in her emotions or feel that she would be able to get the type of support she needed. Miller also wasn't ready to hear other stories face-to-face yet, which she knew um, she had experienced if she joined a support group. And at that time, what Miller really wanted was to know more about what to expect from cancer treatment beyond a bald head. Chemo was difficult, and when she asked for help from the medical community, she was met with distrust and racism and accused of drug-seeking. The chemo Miller was on called Taxol has a a known side effect on bone pain. Taking Taxol along with other drugs for her cancer treatment made the bone pain even worse. When she brought this up with her oncologist, she didn't believe Miller. Looking back, she wishes her doctor had taken the time to explain this to her, but instead she accused her of fishing for addictive pain medication. Miller had brought her mother to that meeting with her oncologist, knowing the importance of having an advocate. Other times, she had brought her husband, who was a white man. He was shocked by how I was treated, she says. When she started radiation, it burned the skin on her chest, causing her skin to peel off her sheets. But when she searched for pictures of what radiation does to brown skin, she found only hundreds of photos of white skin with red marks. Even her doctors told her her skin would turn red, which isn't the case for black women. Mine was, look, mine was black and my skin was falling off, she says. Miller didn't have a person to turn to for answers. Instead, she scanned social media and followed people from an organization called the Breasties. She had heard about through a friend. There were certain breasties in the community <laughs> who were black. Oh, wow. And when I started to follow their pages, I saw real photos of women of color and their radiation burns. When she turned to Google and you type in mastectomy scars or radiation burns, we don't come up, she says. Shortly after that, she made the first in-person connection that shifted her perspective she met a young breast cancer survivor who understood her particularly her particular sense of humor and didn't make her feel that she had to put on a happy face. She just sat with me and laughed with me when I made dark jokes because she was like, I've made them too, says Miller. Feeling that sense of camaraderie made her think that if one person could do that for me, maybe she could do it for others. So she started a Instagram account at Dear Cancer Lower Score It's Me to show people what going through cancer was actually like. She also joined organizations such as the Breasties that offer resources for BIPOC people who have breast cancer. She found more people like her 
who had dark skin like hers and who were sharing the real raw stories of their cancer experiences. At a time when she wasn't yet ready to hear these stories in person, she was able to read them online and relate to them in the privacy of her own space. That was huge for me, she says. That's when I felt safe in a community and seen and heard. On Instagram, she shares stories of her experiences, such as learning to flush twice after using the bathroom while on chemo to avoid anyone else coming in contact with the chemicals the body leeches while undergoing chemotherapy, as well as wiping down the shower and being careful about sweating for the same reason. I didn't know that. Did you? Me either. No. She made sure people Hmm. of color would have access to photos and information about what they could expect from cancer treatment, which she had a difficult time finding at the beginning of her own diagnosis. I wanted to find pictures of people who looked like me and know about what helped them when their hair started coming back, says Miller. After having her pain dismissed, Miller asked her radiologist to recommend a new doctor to manage her care. I said, I need someone who is a person of color, and I need them to be straightforward with me, she says. It wasn't until she started seeing a person of color that she started getting information about how cancer treatment may work differently in black women, how they may cause different side effects and how those side effects are not uncommon. I had never heard any doctor specify that anything in my treatment will be different because I am a black woman. I know that doctors are human, but they make mistakes, but they also have their own biases. So we have to keep that in mind. They don't necessarily get taught in medical school about the different types of skins. Creating the community she needed. Today, Miller is cancer-free. In addition to building a community on Instagram, she's on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee of the Breasties and encourages health professionals to educate themselves about structural racism in healthcare. She's also a regular guest on cancer-focused podcasts, speaks at conferences, and was the spokesperson who debuted Target's mastectomy swimwear line. Mm, Okay, I didn't know that. Most recently, she's directing a film about body image issues and how Mm -hmm. others have learned to love their bodies after feeling Mm -hmm. betrayed by cancer. Miller Mm -hmm. uses each medium as a way to change the breast cancer support landscape for better. A few years ago, Miller was speaking at the Stupid Cancer Conference when she shared with those in the crowd, many who have had cancer or were currently going through it, her philosophy about the word survivor versus the word veteran. At the end of the session, she overheard conversations throughout the room. People were referring to themselves as veterans too. Resources we love. Not all resources are created equally and no one organization is one size fits all. If you've been diagnosed with breast cancer or you know someone who has been, here are some organizations that stand out to us as being exceptional resources for women of color. They're all great places to start. The besties run the pink is not the problem campaign, which Miller helped create it. It takes on pink washing companies that make misleading claims about supporting cancer groups. 
in the breast cancer industry and helps people who want to donate make sure they know what their funds are being used for. For the breast of us, that's another organization, Jasmine um, Diani Sars and Marissa Thomas created For the Breast of Us as an antidote to the issues they both face fighting breast cancer from diagnosis to remission. They have a growing archive of breast cancer stories from women of color that have shaped a community. The site also includes resources, including a list of clinical trials for metastatic breast cancer. Touch BBCA. Ricky Farley is a. I know a, Ricky. I know Ricky Farley. So, so it's Farley. Okay. With, yeah, Dickie Fair, Farley. She, um, she's a link sister. And I remember when she was diagnosed with uh, triple negative breast cancer, which, you know, for black women has a yes. worse prognosis. But Ricky's alive, alive and well. Okay. Well, she, she yeah. got a test. She's the creator of Touch. The Black Breast Cancer Alliance, uh huh, an organization, yes, that not, yes, that not only creates a community specifically for Black women battling breast cancer, but also engages with the pharmaceutical companies, healthcare workers, and researchers to address the disparities in cancer treatment, research, and detection that undermine Black women's survival. Corals to locks, breast cancer veteran Diana. Austin um, started Corals to Locks with her sister after Austin realized there were almost no resources for natural hair wigs in the breast cancer space. Their goal is to ease the trauma of hair loss during cancer treatment and bring badly needed natural hair wigs to hospitals, clinics, and select wig shops. They have podcasts. Here's a full list of breast cancer podcasts we think stand out. Aisha Miller has been featured in episodes of several of our favorites. Sip with Survivors, Dear Cancer, I'm Beautiful, Interlude. All right. So, yes, I thought that was so, I thought that was so great because we never really hear from a person, you know, that really tells us the the 411 on exactly what happens with breast cancer treatment most especially for always it's always focused on another race right you know know, like she was talking about the color of your skin and the hair on your head but it's always focused towards other women and Mm -hmm. we need and since again healthcare disparities Mm -hmm. i'm glad to see these organizations these groups coming together that's good because we have different issues yes we do Yes, and I like yeah. the the calls. Yeah, the calls to to locks where you know because because people wear their hair. A lot of people wear their hair in twists and locks yeah. and stuff. And if yeah. they have cancer, you know their hair yeah. loss. You want to have a nice wig. And, that, even, and then when I'm told when your hair comes back, it's a different texture. Yes, they have to deal with. Yes. And nobody talks about that. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a great article as well. But oh, very good. but it does go back to the focus of this year, and we're going to be focused on it for a long time, is that we yeah. need health equity now, don't we? We do. We need health equity now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Well, Dee, this ends our show. So do you have some tips that we should think about? Well, number one, you we mentioned we talked about the triple demic. 
I think we need to mm-hmm. uh, be careful uh, and maybe rethink our, our mask and, and, you know, get your flu shot and get your most recent booster coronavirus shot. Another thing is that math scores and reading scores have plummeted. If you have children or grandchildren, make sure that they try to make sure that they have all the resources that they need to try to catch up because it's very hard to try to catch up if mm-hmm. you're that far behind. And remember that, you know, I like I said, I used to tell my children, gone are the days where you can run up and say I'm black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. You have to, everybody has to compete now on a global scale. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is, again, yeah, I mean, you know, sexual health of women, you know, when it comes to chemotherapy and those kinds of things and uh, um, dysfunction and things that you can have after that, it's not talked about. Men have a lot of the same issues, but again, it seems like those issues are addressed more, or maybe they bring it up more than we do. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, um, the breast cancer for black women. You know, this is Breast Cancer Month, in mm-hmm. one out of eight women now, and I'm glad to see uh, black women coming together with issues around chemotherapy and recovery and all of that that are different from other women. Yes. So those are some of the take-home messages from today. Yes, and I'm glad that we're we're being more of an advocate for our own health and to bring exactly. in bring in this focus for our women of color. Come on now. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. We're doing that. Yes, indeed. Exactly. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vikidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com. <laughs>